Thank you. Hold it like this. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Nasir al Mustadafeen. Waqahir al Mustakbirin. Alhamdulillah, Ladi la yuhmadu ala makruhin siwah. وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله خلق فسو قدر فهدى وخلق فسوى وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله ما كان محمد أبا أحد من رجالكم ولكن رسول الله من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا يضل أبدا ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا يهدى أبدا اللهم اجعلنا من الذين يستمعون القول فيتبعون أحسنه أما بعد Dear committed brothers and sisters عن الصراط المستقيم This week marks on the Islamic calendar the 10th day of Ashura and obviously there are different traditions in the Islamic cultures that have their own observances of this day the 10th, not today, but the 10th of the month of Al-Muharram. Let me begin this khutbah before I go to the ayat. Let me begin this khutbah by saying, and I think this is important to explain, or at least to mention, that those who come from a Sunni historical background missed the boat altogether concerning the significance of this day. Not that they intentionally and deliberately mean to do that, it's just because the force of tradition is overwhelming. And this doesn't only apply to them, it applies to Shi'is, it applies to non-Muslims, it applies to virtually every culture. The force of tradition, the force of cultures are overwhelming. And within those forces, unfortunately or regrettably, only some Muslims can make a breakthrough and liberate themselves from the weight of cultures and traditions and customs.
the tenth day of Ashura should be a day in which Muslims recall the facts pertaining to that day and for those and I'm speaking here not about the people of Musa crossing over passing over into an exodus from tyranny I'm speaking about the 10th day of Al-Muharram in which the Prophet's grandson gave his life for future generations to regenerate themselves, not to die or not to spill blood the way they do. When I say, when I say die, that's a death of the spirit not the death and the death of the mind together not the death of the body some Muslims are accustomed to spending the day of Ashura in a form of recalling the tragedy the tragedy of that day and it's obviously a tragic day beyond question but it's a day that has in it more than the tragic aspect if we were to honor this day if we were to give this day its right we would make the tragic component the tra the remembrance of the tragedy of this day 10% of the activities commemorating Ashura, 10%. 90% should be dedicated to the activism, the ideological and the political dimensions of this day, the, the required social movement that comes out of this day. Unfortunately, those who are at least historically conscious of this day, they have claimed the day for themselves as if it doesn't belong to the rest of the Muslims and it doesn't belong to the rest of mankind. This is a fact. It's a fact of life that we are living in. It hurts, but it's a fact. Now, We'll, we'll try to broaden our horizon and look at this day in a more expanded fashion. And I will begin this by quoting the ayah, and some of you are going to say, probably when you first hear the ayah, an ayah, of course, that you know very, probably very well. What does this have to do with Ashura? The ayah is, rajim سبحان الذي أسرى بعبده ليلا من المسجد الحرام إلى المسجد الأقصى الذي باركنا حوله لنريه من آياتنا إنه هو السميع البصير. The first ayah in Surah Al-Isra has a direct connection with what happened on the 10th of Al-Muharram 
in the 61st year or the 60th year of the Hijrah. It has a direct linkage to that day. And this is because people are smothered in their culture and in their traditions. They say, what are you talking about? What does this have to do with that? Okay, let's do a little explanation here. First of all, Al-Quds was the residence of many of Allah's prophets. If you, we read our history books, we will find out that in Al-Quds and in the surrounding vicinity of Al-Quds, that was the area of the prophets, the following prophets of Allah. Ibrahim, Ishaq, Yaqub, Lut, Dawood, Sulaiman, Yahya, Zakaria, and Isa. This city, this area, is part of their history, and, and, and these are a considerable amount of Allah's prophets. And then the final of Allah's prophets, alayhi wa alihi salatu wassalam, the Prophet Muhammad went from Mecca to Al-Quds to As-Samawat Al-Ula and back from As-Samawat Al-Ula to Al-Quds to Mecca. The history of these prophets is interrelated to the history of Bani Israel in one way or the other. I think this is something everyone will, will agree upon. There's no doubt about that. Among these prophets, there was an attempt, there were attempts, some of them failed, some of them succeeded in killing these prophets. We know Prophet Yahya and Prophet Zakaria. Prophet Yahya for sure, Prophet Zakaria with some certainty. They were killed. By whom? By Yazid? By Muawiyah? The the political criminals that they were? No. They were killed by Bani Israel per the ayat of the Quran. This is not some histor historian's conclusion. These are Quranic facts. Musa said to his people, Udhulu al Arda al Mukaddasata Leti Kataballahu Lakum. He said to these people who were later, later on the killers of prophets enter into the holy land which Allah has designated for you. Udhulu al Arda al Mukaddasa Leti Kataballahu Lakum.
We Muslims, the beginning of our history, we prayed to Al-Quds for 14 to 16 months. Depends on which book you go back to in history. Well, some say 16, some say 14. I'm of the opinion it was 16, but Allahu A'lam. That's why it is called our first Qibla. Mecca is not our first Qibla. And this doesn't demean Mecca in any way. No one's taking away from the value and the centrality of Mecca. No. But for some reason, here's where Allah invites us to begin to think through what we are saying and what we are supposed to be doing. Allah has designated Al-Quds as our first Qibla. And the third haram, haram, so we prayed at the beginning of our history 16 months towards Al-Quds. And then Allah in Surah Al-Baqarah reveals an ayah that says, وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الْقِبْلَةَ الَّتِي كُنْتَ عَلَيْهَا إِلَّا لِنَعْلَمَ مَنْ يَتَّبِعُ الرَّسُولِ مِمَّنْ يَنْقَلِبُ عَلَىٰ عَقِبَيْهِ The only reason we designated this as your first Qibla is to know those who are going to follow the Prophet, the, the Apostle, the Rasul. The messenger to distinguish them from those who are going to fall back from their responsibilities now when this ayah was revealed it had to do with the society and the sociology and the culture of the people of the Arabian Peninsula because they were by culture and by history they were attached to Mecca so how they would say to themselves, why does this Prophet want us to pray to Al-Quds? We have this, this is Ibrahim's Haram. This is the Kaaba, Al-Bayt Al-Haram. So, to, to liberate them from their culture, that's what we're trying to do with all Muslims, to liberate them from their culture, Allah tells them, you pray towards Al-Quds, not to Mecca. It didn't take away from the meaning of Mecca. Allah was not downgrading Mecca. He wanted them to move out of their past. He wanted to liberate them from their culture. Okay. Now, the ayah is still alive. The meanings of the ayah should still be applicable to us today. We see that in today's world, the Arabians, the rulers, the officials, the decision makers, we see them giving up on Al-Quds, the first Qibla. So this ayah has a renewed meaning. وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الْقِبْلَةَ الَّتِي كُنْتَ عَلَيْهَا إِلَّا لِنَعْلَمَ مَنْ يَتَّبِعُ الرَّسُولِ مِمَّنْ يَنْقَلِبُ عَلَىٰ عَقِبَيْهِ so right now, these people, presidents and kings and emirs and princes, etc., they abandon Al-Quds. 
So this ayah right now is proving to us those who are following Rasul from those who are relinquishing their responsibilities and turning their back on Al-Quds. Another observation concerning Al-Quds is, and remember these people right now who are claiming, a, I mean, I'm talking about the Zionists now, who are claiming a historical right to this area. They killed prophets in this area. If they killed prophets, you think they will not kill people who are lesser than prophets? That explains to us why they make these derogatory and, and these insulting comments about Palestinians, about Arabs, and about Muslims. And you can add to them right now Iranians and Turks. In their media, I'm speaking about their media, I'm not talking from an Islamic point of view. It's a fact. See what they say about. The, so if they say we are cockroaches, we are animals, instead of walking on four legs, we walk on two legs, etc. To the, uh, and coming from rabbis. These statements come from rabbis and from officials in the Zionist entity. They killed Prophet Zechariah, they killed Prophet Yahya, they killed, they tried to kill Prophet Isa, and according to some narratives, they tried to kill the last Prophet. So we have a killer religious instinct, historical. The Prophet's Isra, his night journey from Mecca to Al-Quds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have taken him directly from Mecca to As-Samawat Al-Ula. Or he could have taken Allah's Prophet from Mecca to somewhere else and then to As-Samawat Al-Ula. There's a specific place Allah's Prophet went to before going to Allah. And that was Al-Quds. And on the way back, Allah could have brought the Prophet back directly from As-Samawat Al-Ula to Mecca. No, he came back to Al-Quds and then to Mecca. Does this have a message for those of us who can put the pieces of the puzzle together? Now we come to the issue of Karbala. Before we make this transitional leap, we want to say, and I think some of you may have heard me say this before, but it deserves to be repeated, that the Prophet of Allah, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his, he defeated these prophet killers. He defeated them in Al Medina. Not that the prophet was looking for a fight. They were the ones who were conspiring and showing their hostility to Allah's prophet. So he, he had to deal with them with Allah's instructions. So Banu Quraidha, Banu Nadir, Banu Qaynuqa, they were all defeated in Al Medina. And then they 
regrouped in Khaybar. And then the Prophet of Allah defeated them in Khaybar. So where did they go after they were defeated in the northern areas of the peninsula, Arabian Peninsula? Where did they go from there? They went to Al-Quds. And what happened after there? The Muslims during the, the time in which Umar ibn al-Khattab was the commander-in-chief of the Muslims, he went to Al-Quds and they were defeated in Al-Quds. Now, these today in our world, we have a very serious effort to defeat the same people who have shown us their animosity and their hostility and their willingness to kill and to go to wars against us. Why can't, I'm posing this question for you to begin to think, why can't there be a, an amalgamation, a blending of our initial effort to liberate Al-Quds with the current effort to liberate Al-Quds? And the reason I say this is because we have gaps in our minds. One of these gaps is when Yahud, when the Zionists of those, of those days and times, when they were defeated in the Arabian Peninsula and then in Palestine, just like in today's world, they have their connections, influence, lobbies. So what did they do? They instigated the Byzantine Empire to work along with the Umawis to take revenge against the Prophet. But the Prophet at that time had passed away. So who are they going to take revenge against? This is, this is where the interests of those who have power and wealth within the house of Islam with those who have power and wealth outside of the house of Islam. We can see this in today's world. The Saudis are working with the Zionists and the imperialists. At that time, the Umawis were working with the parallels to the Zionists and the imperialists. So they were the ones who were instigating or working together to get back at the Prophet. The Prophet wasn't there, so they got back at the grandson of the Prophet. This is a Zionist, imperialist, Arabian, reactionary effort par excellence. But who, you're going you're gonna to go to these activities, some of you at least, you're going to go to these activities in which they're going to speak about Imam al-Husayn, alayhi salam, they're going to... You know, bring out the tragic part of this, which is all right. No one's against that. But they make it the overall activity, and then the ideological, the political, the military, the economic facts that relate to this, all of that is absent. Who's going to tell you when you go and listen to what they say on this day, on the day of Ashura? Who's going to? speak about Zionists and imperialists 1400 years ago 
working with these munafiqeen in the Arabian Peninsula. And who's going to speak about them today? They won't speak about them then. How They will speak about, you'll hear Muawiyah and Yazid, Yazid probably much more, but you'll hear about these probably until you develop wax in your ears. But you will not hear about how they were working hand in hand, talking about Muawiyah and Yazid, with the superpowers and the clandestine powers of those times, just like they are doing today. Okay, alhamdulillah, we have an Islamic effort that made it possible, if we just open our eyes, to see what is happening in the real world. Maybe 70, 80 years ago, we can dismiss our ignorance because we don't have anything to prove what is going on. Now, we have the, the level of events have escalated so much that we can see the replay of what happened over 14 or around 14 centuries ago with what is happening today. Allah says about these killers, فَلِمَ تَقْتُلُونَ أَنْبِيَاءَ اللَّهِ مِنْ قَبْلُ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ Allah speaking to Bani Israel, to these Zionist bloody killers, murderers of prophets. فَلِمَ تَقْتُلُونَ أَنْبِيَاءَ اللَّهِ مِنْ قَبْلُ Why do you kill Allah's prophets before time, in times before? If you are truly committed to Allah. And then we ask ourselves, so why is why didn't Allah come to the rescue of Yahya? Or the rescue of Zakaria? Or the rescue of Isa? Or even to the rescue of Allah's Prophet on the day of Uhud, when the Muslims lost the battle? Why didn't Allah come to their rescue? Those who look at the tragedy of Imam al Hussein, come on, let's, let's mature on this occasion. We ask, everyone should ask themselves, why is that the case? Why wasn't Imam al Hussein given victory on that day? Isn't that a legitimate question? Everyone should be asking. And the Prophet, when he liberated Mecca, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that these persons who were amnestied in Mecca, they're going to come back and cause future, serious future troubles and problems for the Muslims. Why did the Prophet amnesty them? And this is a historical fact. Everyone agrees to that. Why were they amnestied? More, more than that, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create a shaitan to begin with, knowing that he's going to be who he is? Why, why create a shaitan? If we don't begin to approach this type of territory, if this event that some Muslims are aware of, if it doesn't begin to open up this type of questioning, this type of inquisition, then you know we can say salam unto our minds, farewell to our thinking ability. The lesson, one of the lessons that we can draw is the purpose we are in life 
is for Allah to test us. And to test us in negative ways and in positive ways. Both both are tests. Both are tests from Allah. فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَأَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعَمَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي أَكْرَمًا وَأَمَّا إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ فَقَدَرَ عَلَيْهِ رِزْقَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي أَهَانًا كَلَّا This ayah which is in one of the short surahs in the last juz of the Quran Allah is saying as far as concerns the social being al-insan if Allah puts him to test إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ It's al-bala' He gives you a lot of wealth That's ibtila' That's not something you say Oh, look, I have this wealth I'm well off I'm good in this world MashaAllah, Allah likes me No Allah is testing me that's that's the right attitude. If people have that attitude, they'll understand. This is an ibtila. That's how we respond. We say, Oh, Allah has honored me. Allah has dignified me. No, no, no. Allah is testing me. That's the appropriate attitude. And this is, this is what some people may call the positive ibtila. The negative ibtila, maybe some people may call it that. And this is the following ayah. But then, if the sustenance, if the livelihood is meager, you only have a little amount. They say, Rabbi ahanan, my sustainer has offended me or humiliated me and to both of these attitudes our human nature attitude how does Allah respond kalla not just the simple la kalla which means absolutely not so we're looking at ibtila not looking at al-huda some people they get things mixed up. Allah, if he wanted, he would have guided everyone. If Allah willed, he would have guided everyone. So the issue is one of ibtila. Another ayah. So that he will test you with whatever he has given you. Whatever it is. More or less. A lot of it. A scant amount of it, that's ibtila. Liabluakum fima atakum. Another ayah, liabluakum ayukum ahsanu amala. So that he, he will test you to see which one of you is better in what they do. In what they do. Forget about, put aside what people say. Begin. To measure and evaluate people by what they do. If you read the Quran closely, you will come across three words that reinforce this 
responsibility in life to be conscious of how Allah is putting us through a battery of trials and errors the first one is al-ibtila we just sp- spoke about that in those ayat liyabluwakum fi ma'atakum liyabluwakum ayyukum ahsanu amala okay another one is at-tamhis to scrutinize who you are and this is mentioned when we really have to give especially when there is a military duty that's when you probably have to give your life so that Allah can scrutinize Allah knows whether what we do or don't do He knows who we are but for us to know on the day of judgment when He tells us this is what you did and the other one is fitna أَحَسِبَ النَّاسُ أَنْ يُتْرَكُوا أَنْ يَقُولُوا آمَنَّا وَهُمْ لَا يُفْتَنُونَ Ibtila' Tamhiz and Fitna Who's going to speak about these facts of life on this occasion to understand Allah's purpose from something like Karbala and Ashura Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in, in the Quran كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَأَغْلِبَنَّ أَنَا Allah has decreed saying I certainly this is in reference to Allah I certainly will overcome I certainly will triumph myself and my messengers okay someone reading that ayah would say okay if Allah is saying what happened to Zakaria? what happened to Yahya what happened to Isa what happened to these other prophets doesn't seem like there was a clear victory there so this is what comes to people who are under the spell of this world and its cultures and its past and al-ibtila does not necessarily mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to test you in your health. Someone says, oh, I have a, some type of ailment, so this is an ibtila. Oh, okay, that's a partial meaning of it. The general meaning of an, and, uh, some other equivalent incidents that people refer to as ibtila. Maybe someone loses a son or loses a relative or something say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing me okay that's that's a minor test it's true it's a test the major test is between al-khayr and al-sharr between al-adl and al-zulm this is where the major ibtila is what are you going to stand for are you going to stand for justice social justice equality the fair distribution of wealth the dissipation of power or are you going to stand with oppression injustice criminal wars 
What position are you going to take in life? وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا فَإِذَا أُوذِيَ فِي اللَّهِ جَعَلَ فِتْنَةَ النَّاسِ كَعَذَابِ اللَّهِ And there are people who say, yes, we are mu'mins. Amanna. We are committed to Allah in faith, in duties, in responsibility. They say, this is what they say. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا فَإِذَا أُوذِيَ فِي اللَّهِ But if he takes Allah's side and then he sees there's some harm coming his way, جَعَلَ فِتْنَةَ النَّاسِ كَعَذَابِ اللَّهِ He equates. See, Allah didn't say, جَعَلَ أَذَى النَّاسِ كَعَذَابِ اللَّهِ The beginning of the ayah, Allah says, if a person is harmed, but when it con- the ayah continues, it doesn't say, that person equates the harm that is done to him. No. He says, that person equates the fitna that comes to him with Allah's punishment. Meaning, I'm more afraid of what people will do to me than I'm afraid of what Allah will do to me. And here we come to Imam Al-Husayn in the middle of all of this. I'm not, you know, we're not speaking here in a, in a, from an ivory tower. What we are saying is to be understood in the context of what happened between Imam Al-Husayn and those who were with him on one side and those who were against him and those who were against him were not the military commander there at the war front or the decision maker in Damascus those were part of his enemies the major enemies were the ones who were supporting them in the form of the superpowers of those days just like, I, I have to say this again, just like, it, look at today's world. Learn. Learn from today's developments. Who are the ones who are objecting to those who, in their best way, are trying to stand up to the standards, live up to the standards of an Imam al Hussein? Who's against them? Is it Saudi Arabia? How silly. How silly someone would be to emphasize that our major enemy the only enemy we have is king and you can begin with khalid and fahd and abdullah and now this guy salman these are the enemies of course they are enemies and you speak everything about them because of their war crimes aren't they involved in war crimes just like Yazid and Muawiyah were involved in war crimes. They are involved in war crimes. Are they by themselves? Are they doing this on their own? You heard the President of the United States the other month saying if it wasn't for us, they would, the Arabian Peninsula would be speaking Persian or something to that effect. Something like that. There are a few statements like that. Is history different now than it was then? Is human nature different now than it was then? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is where my colleagues, the Sunnis, they have to get rid of this Ummawi spell that still has a grip on their traditions. 
There's ayat at-tathir. Innama yuridullahu liyudhiba ankumur rijsa ahl al-bayt wa yutahhirakum tathira. That's an ayah in the Qur'an. Correct? Okay. Why can't you just... You who are smothered with some umawi misinformation, come back to Allah. Listen to what he is saying. And listen to the Prophet in, in these hadiths that come from the sources that you rely upon. Al-Hasan wal Hussein Sayyida Ahlil Jannah. Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein, the Prophet's grandsons, are the epitome, the most selected. The word master is like, you know, these translators use it for Sayyid is, is not really appropriate here. Of the people of paradise, of Al-Jannah. And the, Pro- the Prophet says another hadith, just come back to the Prophet's hadiths that are not in contradictory with the Qur'an. You see, we mentioned the ayah in the Qur'an, the ayah of Tathir, and there's the ayah of Al-Mubahala concerning the Prophet's household. So come back to them, and the Prophet says, Al-Husaynu minni wa ana min Husayn. أَحَبَّ اللَّهُ مَنْ أَحَبَّ حُسَيْنًا There's other narrations to the same hadith. Now, I ask those brothers who come from this Sunni confused with Umawi, misinformation and misguidance. I ask them, take a moment with yourself. Disengage from everything around you between your mind and your heart and your conscience. Think for a moment how the Prophet of Allah feels when he is told that your grandson has been killed on the battlefield in the way that it happened. Just just think about that for a moment between yourself and yourself. Now, to wind up, I know this khutbah probably took a little more than it usually takes. Yes. Um, to wind up, I'd like to say that among our Shia'i colleagues, I catch it from both sides. It's Allah. It's all right, Allah. I'm doing this for you. Among our Shiite colleagues, we have those who commemorate this occasion by emphasizing they take some chain or they take a sword and then they begin hitting themselves. Are you hitting yourself because you're an enemy of yourself? I mean, what, what does that mean when you hit yourself? There's enemies out there that should be hit, not yourself. You're shedding your own blood. There are others who deserve their blood to be shed. In a shar'i way, in a legal way, in a moral way. What are you doing? These are called al-ikhbariyin. In the Shi'i context, This type, these types of people are called ikhbariyin. And the Shirazis of our day and time probably 
and I hope you know what the definition of that is, probably exemplify be that better than anyone else. And then you have the rationalists who more or less have the same approach as yours truly. They try to emphasize the factual and the rational content of these observances like Ashura. Among them, may Allah have mercy on their souls, just to mention a couple of them, Sayyid Muhammad Baqir al-Sadr and Sayyid Muhammad Hussein Fadlullah. And then you have the Irfaniyeen, so to speak. These are the majority of those who are in the Islamic Republic of Iran, who more or less have the contents of both of the previous practices in them. And then we have, we come across some silly stuff from both Sunnis and Shi'is when they want to emphasize how important some of their respected figures are. We take, for example, Al-Imam Zain Al-Abideen, Al-Imam Al-Sajjad. In one source among Shi'is, and it could be repeated by some speakers, said, in one day he used to pray 1,000 rakahs. Okay, just think for a moment. 1,000 rakahs, let's say each rakah, you do the math. Each rakah is one minute. Divide 1,000 by 60, what do you get? 18 hours? Because every hour is 60 minutes. What, what is he doing in his day? You, just think about it. If he's spending 18 hours in the salah, rakah, doesn't he have to go to wudu, doesn't he have to go to the bathroom, doesn't he have to eat, doesn't he have to sleep, doesn't he have to speak to people, doesn't he have to give a dars, explain things and all of this? This is what happens. Some of this ridiculous stuff that takes place. And it's not peculiar to Shiites. Sunnis have the same type of thing. When they speak about Uthman, one of them says, and it's in the book and it's on some people's mouths and all of this. They said what? He used, Uthman used to read the Qur'an in one rakah. You try reading the Qur'an yourself. Take the juz, the juz of the Qur'an. Just read one juz. How long is it going to take you? If you're a fairly paced person in reading, half an hour. The Qur'an is 30 juzits. That means it's going to take him 15 hours to read the Qur'an in that one rakah. But these are the types of things that come from our fossilized traditions that we still don't have. And the problem is, I, I can understand the position of some of my brothers and sisters. And I don't mean this in any demeaning way. Some of this comes because we don't have an emotional attachment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can trace many of these issues to that fact. 
no emotional attachment to Allah. When we gain that, many of these issues are going to wither away. We'll not hear and see what we are hearing and seeing right now. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ودعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Now let's take a look at today's people who have power and wealth قفوهم فَإِنَّهُمْ مَسْؤُولُونَ Have them stand up to be accounted for. And we don't, we don't reserve our criticism and our attacks. In the world we're living in, I have to come back a little and say verbal attacks some people listening to this they look at this you know he has attacks what are you going to do he has a kalashnikov or he has a m16 rifle or he has a machine gun or, no, no. there is a newly appointed chairman to combat corruption in saudi arabia Remember a couple of years ago there was the Ritz Carrollton when MBS took these billionaires and millionaires and threw them in a incarceration atmosphere in a hotel there in a Riyadh. Well now there's a second attempt to go after the corrupt bureaucrats to ta- to tackle the bureaucracy. That means their own officials. We don't know how far this is going to go. But this is what they say that they are going to pursue next. Which tells us they're running out of money. That's, that's how anyone should read it. S- Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, and remember they're enablers. The traditional observation of Ashura is, remember Muawiyah and Yazid. But no one says, remember they're enablers. We say Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Today the world is more institutionalized. Instead of saying, remember Muhammad bin Salman and Muhammad bin Zayed. We say, remember Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and their enablers. And I think you know who the Zio American enablers, Zio Euro American enablers are. So here they are, they're fighting it out by proxies in Yemen, in Adan. Pro-Saudi Arabian forces, Yemenis most, and pro-Emirati forces, Yemenis most, 
are slugging it out, killing each other. And no one's thinking about al-shahr al-haram. Anyone here in any of the news sources you go to, whether you go to Reuters or whether you go to CNN or BBC or even your Islamic news sources, I don't want to mention any, but the ones you go to, are they speaking about these war violations of al-shahr al-haram? Who's talking about this? It's as if they've buried the concept of al-ashhur al-hurum six feet under. Now, a United Nations report comes out just yesterday, and it says there is proof that Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and the United States and others committed war crimes in Yemen. Who's going to take them to task? Who's going to go and say, put these decision makers in Saudi Arabia and in the United States and in these other countries, bring them to a court of law and let them bear the consequences of their decisions. They have a whole population almost starving. They've killed, look, no one is counting, but to the best of an educated person's assessment, over 100,000 innocent individuals in Yemen in these past few years. Who's going to take? Allah has a court. Allah sees all this. It's not going to go, he's not absent from reality. Where are you going to go with all of this? And do, what do you expect the people, the poor people in Yemen to do? Stand there and take the bombs? Incinerate themselves? because of the firepower of their enemies or you expect them to fire back with the meager limited resources they have they are firing back ballistic missiles now are hitting in this past week king khalid military air base in the south of that kingdom the the milit- the airport at abha the airport at najran And because of how critical this issue has become, just yesterday the news surfaced that the United States, some officials here, are beginning to speak to Ansarillah, otherwise referred to in the Western media as Al-Houthis. They're beginning to speak to them to say, how can we bring this war to an end? Then Saudi Arabia, today, said, if you can remember, on September 11th, of all days of the year, on September 11th, four years ago, 2015, there was a crane in the Haram, and that crane collapsed, and 107 pilgrims were killed, 238 pilgrims were injured. And this has been, this whole affair was in court in the past four years, and today the court comes out and says the Bin Laden construction company, that's the company that owned the crane, it employs over 220,000 employees, is absolved of any responsibility for the collapse of that crane. There are 
weekly flights between Dubai and Tel Aviv. Three of them every week. Some say these are chartered flights. Whatever they are, they have entrepreneurs on them. They they say some of these flights are for medical purposes. Obviously, the Emiratis going to colonized Palestine for medical treatment. Dubai has frozen the project that it had to build the largest airport in the world. What does that tell you and me? They're running out of money. Where are they spending all this money? This Jumu'ah, the khutbah, the sermon is supposed to be to educate, to motivate. Why can't we be educated about what's happening to our own resources and our own wealth? Then we have the foreign minister of Bahrain more or less giving credit to the Israelis for attacking Lebanon this past week. All of us know what happened over the weekend. One of these Israeli patrols was taken out. Those are the words they use. Let's use them back at them. Was taken out. And a result of that, the Israelis lobbed about 100 missiles inside or rockets or projectiles or whatever they were inside of Lebanon. So the Bahraini foreign minister, pipsquink Bahrain. The Bahraini foreign minister comes and he takes the Israeli side. Is anyone surprised? We have one of the architects of what's supposed to be the deal of the century, Greenblatt, Jason Greenblatt, who has resigned his position. Why? What happened? Tell us. Oh, he said it's for family purposes or some personal issues that he has to tend to. Yeah, for sure. We know that. You're trying to fool us with with these words. Your your deal of the century is, is not going the way you anticipated. And so right now you're beginning to abandon ship. But who's going to take over? Another one of these pro-Zionists. This administration is filled with pro-Zionist decision makers, especially when it comes to the Middle East. Imagine if, if there were a number of Muslims working on U.S. foreign policy towards the Muslim East. What type of reaction and what type of media bombardment would we have because of that? But because Zionists are involved in this, oh no, everyone has to be quiet, don't mention this type of thing. Well, we can understand maybe evangelical Zionists say it's not in the interest of our theology and our end of time eschatology. It's not appropriate for us to mention these types of things but how about muslims what about we are victims and i'm not trying to hear here try to hide in a shell of victimhood just to state the fact as it is now the israelis are putting anti-missile batteries patriot missiles 
on the borders with Lebanon? What are we seeing? Uh, a potential escalation? This uh, Zionist war criminal, the Prime Minister of Israel, goes to Al-Haram al-Ibrahimi in Al-Khalil, in Hebron, and defiles the place with his wife. And the pictures are all around. We're not here trying to dramatize these events. This is what happens. This is the disconnect. The people who live a Ashura, they consider Imam al-Husayn their Imam instead of being a leader for the rest of the Muslims and the oppressed people in the world. They still cannot communicate that message. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah. وَأَرِنَا الْبَاطِلَ بَاطِلًا وَارْزُقْنَا اجْتِنَابَهُ وَلَا تَجْعَلْهُ مُلْتَبِسًا عَلَيْنَا وَاجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِنَّ سِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا رَبَّنَا وَلَا تَحْمِلْ عَلَيْنَا إِصْرًا كَمَا حَمَلْتَهُ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِنَا رَبَّنَا وَلَا تُحَمِّلْنَا مَا لَا طَاقَةَ لَنَا بِهِ وَاعْفُ عَنَّا وَاغْفِرْ لَنَا وَارْحَمْنَا أَنْتَ مَوْلَانَا فَانْصُرْنَا عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْكَافِرِينَ اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد وصل وسلم وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاه